This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Well, there's no sun to be dodging or seeking today. It's, it's fairly warm out, right? Like it, It's not bad. I got a little little uh, lesson from my brother as we were setting up this morning. I, who knew he was a meteorologist, but he was talking about how the blankets, I mean, the clouds like are kind of like a blanket for the heat. I don't know. I believed him. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but hey, thanks for being with us. If you're, uh, if you're new to our church, um, our outdoor setting, welcome. If we have not yet met, my name is Adam Vermontis, and I'm a uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Mosaic, and really thrilled uh, that you're here, especially if you're visiting. Uh, what a time to visit a church. Um, uh, we Let me just give you a quick update, I guess. We'll just kind of use this as a opening uh, thing. Um, we, we do, as much as we love being outside, and apparently Andy Herman has a lot of sweaters he wants to show off, because he's like, like he's like, let's just do this forever, um, and I'm like, you know, it's gonna get cold. We're we're gonna go inside, but we we are having developing conversations with the school. Uh, we did make our proposal to go indoors uh, with them this week. Uh, that has not been uh, approved yet. So if you're praying for our church, I would I'd ask you to pray uh, for that. I'm sure there's gonna be some tweaks to that proposal, but all that to to just give you the heads up, we are. We are trying to, to make our way indoors. We're thinking uh, the gymnasium will be a good uh, little spot for us, a little bit of a bigger um, kind of area to, for us to spread out a little bit. might feel safer for, for all the things that are going on. So just so you know, um, we don't have any approval on that yet. We'll, we'll plan on being out here again next week, and we'll just ask that the Lord uh, will continue to just to give us weather that is, uh, that's manageable. This is manageable. Um, if you've brought a Bible with you, I'd invite you now to go ahead and open that up or uh, slide that on if you do the, the digital version. Analog or di- digital is, is, uh, is, of course, acceptable. We are in a New Testament book. It's called the Book of Acts, if you're new to the Bible. Uh, it's the fifth book in the New Testament. So the, the Bible is 66 different books. Um, it's one storyline. It's divided into two halves. It's not even really halves. It's like a two-thirds and a, and a third, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then the fifth book of the New Testament after our four gospel accounts is the book of Acts. Um, Acts is, if you've been with us, you'll know this, but for those of you that are just jumping in with us, uh, Acts is a collection of historical narratives, uh, meaning these were real um, events in the history of the world. Uh, so we're not reading uh, you know, novel fiction or mythical, so that, like these are real activities. Um, and we've been just kind of working our way uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse through this book. And this morning we're in chapter 13. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse uh, 13. Uh, but before I read the passage, uh, let me just kind of set the stage um, in this way. Uh, I know some of you sometimes, uh, I'm from Albuquerque, grew up here, moved back to, to begin the work of planting Mosaic Church um, a number of years ago, and you, you, you all know that I like to frequent um, food establishments and drinking holes and all the local spots, and so sometimes you guys will ask me, like, hey, Adam, where's a good place to eat or whatever, and I'm so flattered when you do that, by the way. Like, that's just, like, that warms my heart when you ask me for my opinion. Um, But one of the new spots I found is over off of Alameda and 40. If you've been over there, it's called the Tin Can Alley. Um, It's one of these um, 
industrial built with the um, you know the pod kind of storage unit type of setups and it's got a number of different you know eating places I think it's just eating there no shopping or anything but it's called the Tin Can Alley and uh, kind of I, I went into a new place that's called uh, Coco Coco Flora um, and it's just this really fancy little kind of artisan boutique-ish type of place. And, you know, you go in one of those places and you order like a, a fancy, you know, chai tea or some little appetizer place. It's super fancy. Goat cheese and all the deals. And I just, so I order, I just ask the lady, I usually do this when I go to a new place, like, what should I get first time, you know? And so I just got a little appetizers in the afternoon. And I'm eating this food and it's really great. You know, I'm trying to really take in the whole experience. I paid like $15 for like a couple of pita bread slices or whatever. And, um, and so I'm just like taking in the whole experience. And I, and I kind of start looking around um, the restaurant, the little, little spot, the little boutique. And they've got all these signs all over the um, place with, um, with, with all the different locations of where their food comes from. Uh, like like it's local places. It's it's out of our state too. But like just little local spots and homegrown kind of grassroots, like where your food came from. And it just and I read a couple of them. Um, I don't know if I found out where all my food came from that I was eating, but it it kind of took it kind of elevated my food to another level, knowing its history. Like rarely do I eat my food thinking like where did this come from, and like what did it take to get to my plate and into my stomach. And in a lot of ways, the book of Acts um, is that um, for those who would call themselves followers of Jesus. And, and my assumption is not, not everyone here would call themselves that. And so if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, really glad that you're here, not making assumptions that everyone here is a follower of Jesus. But, but a, large, uh, you know, a large portion of us would, would, would call ourselves followers of Jesus. And the book of Acts gives us, much like that boutique gave me, um, a history of our faith. Like as we, as we kind of ingest what's going on in our lives, spiritually speaking, um, there, is, there is a wild history behind all of it. And the book of Acts gives us that history. Let me pick up uh, in verse 13 of chapter 13. I'm going to read down to verse 43. Uh, so a little bit of a lengthier reading. Um, just so you know, to kind of borrow language of our current moment in the culture, um, this is a super spreader event. Um, this, this event that we're about to read would be deemed something um, that, that had um, large kind of proportionate impact on the growth of the early church and the advancement of the gospel concerning Jesus. So this this is a super spreader event we're about to read about. Picking up in verse 13 of chapter 13, this is God's word for us this morning. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up, motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. 
The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until the Samuel prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it's written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And therefore he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The grass withers, the flowers will fade, but this is the word of our God, and it will stand forever. Let's uh, uh, pray together, and let's ask him to bless the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, we turn now... Um, to these words recorded in your scriptures. And we ask that you would give illumination to our hearts and eyes to see and to believe beautiful things from them. And we ask all of this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. 
Rarely uh, do I do this, but uh, I've decided this morning when I woke up to scratch my whole uh, opening sermon intro that I kind of had planned out, you know, as I was working on this through the week. And what prompted me to scratch the intro was not necessarily like a holy spiritual moment, but rather it was game four of the World Series. Um, now, I realize uh, in our in our population, there's probably about 20, 27% of you that watched the game last night, um, but that's okay. It's, it's, it is worth repeating for, for just a moment. Uh, for all 27% of you that did watch the game last night, what, what a game, right? Um, for, the, for the rest of you, uh, you know, whatever the math is on that, 73% of you, um, uh, last night's game was a very important game in Major League Baseball. It's game four of the World Series, which is the championship. It's uh, the Tampa Bay Rays playing the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I realize I'm, we're on the West Coast, so probably have some Dodger fans scattered throughout here that are longing for that championship. But last night's game, it, just, it really just kind of re- just recovered uh, my love for the game of baseball. Uh, just fast forward all the highlights, um, but it, it, it was the game of all games because it, it rarely does a baseball game get down to bottom of the ninth inning. It's the last inning if you don't follow baseball. Uh, two outs. There's only three outs in baseball. I'm going to stop explaining baseball to you, I promise. But uh, two outs, bottom of the ninth, and uh, to, to, to this point in the game, it had just been this back-and-forth game, right? Like they were just swapping runs back and forth, inning after inning. The lead changes were just all over the place, which rarely happens in baseball. It's kind of a low-scoring event. Um, but in the bottom of the ninth, um, we've got two outs. The, the, the Rays are up. It's you know their final chance. They've got two runners on base. They're down by one. So they've got to score at least one run or two to, to go ahead. One of the wildest plays I've ever seen in baseball, and I've been around baseball a lot in my life, uh, it, it happened. And the beautiful thing about it was it didn't happen with like in the way you would expect it to happen. Uh, the, 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 the wonderful thing about the Tampa Bay Rays is they don't really have kind of uh, household names. You know, they don't have like the superstars where you would expect so-and-so to get up and, you know, hit the game-winning home run. They just, they just kinda, they're just kind of this ragtag team. And at this point in the game, um, the coaches, they had, they had pretty much, you know, they, they had emptied out the couch cushions of every player on the bench. They were, they were just at the end of, of all their, their hopes and dreams of who would come in. And so this man named Brett Phillips, uh, who had been traded to the Rays, he's he's a nobody. You know, he's kind of, probably one of these guys that's kind of worked up through the minor league system. He's never had a moment in his life as big as this one. Brett Phillips gets up and he just he hits this game winning just base hit, just kind of a little looper line drive over second base. Uh, the rest of the play is super wild, but two two runs score and the Rays win the game. And and it was the end of the game. You know, this is past bedtime, mind you. Bedtime for me. This is, you know, Saturday night. You know, I got to work the next day. I don't stay up, you know, past 10 o'clock very often. But but I stayed up, and, and Heather was into it. You know, I've got a Proverbs 31 wife, so she was all about that that late-night baseball game. And, um, and, and we just, we even stayed up for, like, the, the post-game commentary. But the best part about it all was when, when you're watching grown men. Like, these men are, you know, in their late 20s and 30s. These are grown men. And Brett Phillips is like out in the outfield, um, like running around doing the airplane, right? Like, the, I mean, like just going bananas. Like he's just out there doing this. And like it took him several minutes for him to compose himself so he could do the post-game interview. It was, it was wild. But in the post-game interview, I'm wrapping it up here. 
in the post-game interview, he just, you know, they always ask kind of these, these pat questions. What are you feeling? Like, he doesn't know what he's feeling. But, but at, the end of, at the end of the interview, he just says this one little statement, and it just kind of sunk with me. He just said, isn't baseball such a great game? Like, you know, these guys are professionals. They're making great money. You know, this is, this is a career for them, and it's a business in many ways. But in that moment, that game became so much more to those men. Isn't baseball such a great game, he said. For some of us, we've been around um, the good news about Jesus a long time. Um, I've been a Christian not quite 20 years now, um, but I've, I've been walking with Jesus most, if not all, my adult life, I guess you could consider it. And, 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 I, and I wonder um, if there's anyone here today who's, who's kind of like me, where that good news is just kind of getting tiring. Like you've been around Jesus and what he's done, and you know about, about all these things. You know about the Bible, you know about the church, and, and just maybe it's just kind of fallen off on you. Like it's just, it's just not that exciting anymore. Uh, we're coming up on uh, Halloween, I guess, uh, here on Saturday. Um, and and in, in the church, if, you're, if you belong to a Protestant church like ours, sometimes we'll try to recapture that holiday and we'll celebrate uh, what's called the Reformation. Uh, if, you're, if you're new to the faith, uh, the Reformation is kind of that Protestant branch uh, of the church that split off from the Roman Catholic Church uh, in the uh, 16th century. There's a man named Martin Luther who was, who was a big part of that movement. And uh, on October 31st, he would go and he would nail these theses to the Roman Catholic door to, to grab their attention. There were 95 of them. But, but most, most people who are commenting on that, that historical moment have acknowledged that at the heart of the Protestant Reformation, like at the, just at the very core, if you're just going to kind of boil it down to one thing that was you know, kind of churning Martin Luther towards this Protestant reform, that, they would, that we would protest against the Roman Catholic Church and we would begin our own branch of the church, the core thing at play for Martin Luther and all of those reformers around that movement was, was one main teaching. Uh, and, and the doctrine we would, we would call is, is the doctrine of justification. Justification it asks and answers this question. And, and I want you to be asking and answering this question as we look at Paul's sermon in Acts chapter 13. Here's, here's the question of justification. How can I know, without a doubt, that God loves me? How can I be absolutely, entirely, utterly certain that I am all right with the Lord? And the way the Roman Catholic Church answered that was that you would have faith in God and his gospel. You would also have works to accompany that faith. And the answer of the Protestant reformers and the answer of the Christian church today is that the way a person knows that God loves them is by faith alone. It's by believing the good news about what Jesus Christ came and did on earth. Today's sermon, my sermon, and Paul's sermon is a distillation of the gospel. 
the good news about what Jesus has done and what that means for our lives. And, um, you know, I, I, much like the, the Rays last night in their baseball game, I want you, um, if it, literally, if I see anyone doing this, like if we could all be doing airplanes in the park, uh, by the end of this thing, we'll just we'll pack it up. We'll just we'll just call it. You know, I'm just kidding. Nobody do airplanes, please, or to, to appease me. But like, like if I could just like that's the heart of this sermon. It's like I want you to be recaptivated by the good news about Jesus. It's what Paul was doing with his audience, um, and I'm going to try to do it in fresh ways for this audience that will that will help you capture the scandal of this news. It is scandalous. So here's how we're going to handle it. And listen, up front, the points are like less than inspiring. So what, what is lacking in the points, uh, I hope up to make up in substance. But when you're gathering information about news, which the gospel is news, uh, you know, journalism will use kind of the five W's and the H, you know, who, what, when, where, why, and how. Uh, I'm going to kind of do that this morning. So we're going to talk about the who of justification, the what, the how, and the when. The who, the, the what, the how, and the when. And that's just going to help me to stay on track where we're at points-wise. Again, I, I hope to be more creative in the, the substance than I was in the points. So let's talk first about the who of justification. Uh, if you've been with us, you'll know that Paul and his companions, uh, uh, Barnabas and John Mark, are traveling through the Mediterranean world, um, spreading the, the message about Jesus. Uh, they've just left the island of Cyprus, they're now traveling west, north and westward up uh, towards an area called Pamphylia. Um, this is modern-day Turkey kind of area. They land in Perga, uh, which is about 12 miles inland. So they would, have, they would have had about 150 miles by ship to go from Cyrus to the land, um, and Cyprus to the land. Uh, and then they don't stay in Perga. Uh, but they move on to a city called Antioch in Pisidia, which is not the original Antioch. This was Antioch was a, a king's name, and he wanted to name as many places after himself as possible. So, you know, narcissist to the core. Um, but but Antioch and Pisidia, they sh- they show up to this other city, which they probably went there for two reasons. Uh, one was it was in Paul's hometown region. So much like Barnabas in Cyprus, Paul's now going, hey, this is, this is kind of in my region. I know some people here. We should, we should go there next. Uh, another reason, uh, historians think that there was a connection to the man that was converted at, at um, the island of Cyprus, Sergius Paulus, if you were here last week. Uh, historians think that his son probably lived in Pisidia and Antioch. So Sergius probably said, hey, you need to go tell this news to my son and his people. So Paul and Barnabas and John uh, Mark leaves at that time. We don't know why. There's speculation about it, but he leaves. They show up in this city. The assumption is they're getting settled there, and their practice, the methodology for sharing the good news, is still to find a local Jewish synagogue to share the good news. And the reason they're doing this is because the, the attendees at the synagogue would have had a background in the Old Testament to understand who Jesus was and why he would come. He was their long-anticipated messianic figure from the Old Testament. So Paul and Barnabas show up on Saturday morning. Uh, you know, it's, they did church on Saturdays, not Sundays. They, Saturday morning, they're at the synagogue. Uh, obviously, word has traveled that Paul and Barnabas are there. Uh, the way the text reads is kind of like the leaders, after going through some of the liturgy, reading the scriptures, they, they sent a message, like, I don't know, it's like, 
they didn't have text messages, but somehow the word was like, hey, if you brothers want to share a word of encouragement, now would be the time. Uh, and the narrative tells us Paul ha- gave a, a hand motion. I was thinking like he raised the roof, like, yes, I'd like to, but it was, it was more of a teaching motion, like, yes, I'll go share. Um, and so Paul goes up and he shares this word of encouragement. And the who of the justification is both the audience that he's speaking to, who uh, he begins in verse 16 as the men of Israel and those who fear God. So Jewish people, uh, law-abiding, you know, uh, synagogue-attending, Sabbath-observing religious types, and those who fear God. So those are people that are attracted to Judaism, but they haven't necessarily implemented all of the implications of the legal law on their lives. They're not in probably not, they probably don't have a kosher kitchen, they probably aren't circumcised, those types of things. But, but these, are, these are spiritually interested people. That, that's part of the who. But the, the scandal of the who is in the core of the message, which the core of the message, to, to my understanding, is verses 38 and 39. And 38 and 39 give us, um, I, I didn't really mention this in the intro, I should have, give us kind of why this sermon, mine and Paul's, is about justification. Uh, Paul says this at the heart of his sermon. Um, Let it be known to you, therefore brothers, so that the people he's speaking to in the synagogue, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness is proclaimed to you. And by him, and here's the who that you need to, to kind of hover in on, Everyone who believes is freed, and that word is justified. So for some reason, this translation, English Standard Version, uses the word freed. Uh, It can be that translation, but it is the word dikaio, which means justified. So everyone who believes is justified. Let's just camp there for a quick second. Everyone who believes is right with God. Uh, there's, no, um, there's no asterisk for who that everyone is. Everyone means everyone. Uh, the, the eligibility and prerequisite for being right with God uh, is that you need to be right with God. Uh, and, that is, and, and that is not scandalous so much to us as it was to them. Again, Israel, Israelites and God-fearing people, religious people. So I just want you to submit it as I'm just gonna I'm gonna move on, but I want you to shuffle through people in your mind um, who are who are not right with God. And you're gonna think of kind of perhaps you know the 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 colorful people in your life, meaning like like their lifestyle seems to be colorful. It's a little bit you know kind of free, wild, you know, maybe not very religious, um, maybe they're not here, right? Like those types of people should be shuffling through your mind uh, when you think about the who of justification. Like the good news of the gospel is for everyone. And that is shocking. So that's the who. Uh, but but the what of um, justification Uh, strikes at really the meat of Paul's sermon. Uh, What Paul does is he gives a kind of a biblical and historical survey of God's people. 
Um, he begins with God's people in Egypt. And just to refresh your memory, uh, you know, God had chosen one man, Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you with the son. He gave him a son. His name's Isaac. That, Isaac would have that son, a son named Jacob. Jacob would have 12 sons. Uh, his youngest son, Joseph, would be sold into slavery, uh, sent to Egypt, right? And so this is how God carries the storyline of salvation for his people. He takes Joseph into Egypt. Egypt's people, or, or God's people, grow under the leadership of Joseph in Egypt in bondage. They become mighty and numerous, right? They're fruitful. They grow. They begin getting the attention of Pharaoh, like, look at all these people. What are we going to do with all these Israelites? And they become overwhelming, and God delivers his people through the plagues with Pharaoh. You're familiar with that, perhaps? God delivers them. He brings them into the wilderness. Uh, I love the way Paul says it. He says that God put up with them in the wilderness, right, for 40 years. He, he kind of tolerated all of their, you know, their doubting ways, their unfaithfulness. You know, God sent us back to Egypt. The meat was really good there. Um, he, he gets them through wilderness, the wilderness. He gets them to the promised land. He gives them the land as inheritance. He's so patient and forbearing with his people. His people want to be like the other countries and say, give us a king. He gives them a king. He says, they can say, give us judges. He gives them judges. He sends prophets. God is just continually, time and time again, just showing his patience for his people. And uh, it goes all the way, you know, Paul in the sermon goes all the way up to King David. He says, finally, I've got a man who's after my heart. I've given you the king. I've got the king, right? And, and if, you, if you're familiar with David's life, it just, it wasn't good enough, right? And so what Paul does is he makes a connection between King David and the true and better King David, and his name is Jesus, so the what of justification, why Paul tells us all of those things and the historical activity of God's people on earth is to, to, to give us this. In order to be justified, to be right with God, here is the thing that is required. Perfect obedience. You must be wholly, entirely perfect now, if, if, I, if I ran a, you know, a Google survey with our group here, I, I don't think anybody would really be vouching for themselves in the area of perfection. Uh, but, but nonetheless, we have this, this kind of this inclination of ourselves to what we would, we would even use the language of to justify ourselves. Like, I'm not that bad. Right? I'm, I'm not, not as bad as, as this guy. I know that much. I'm not as, as bad as I could be. And so there's this kind of this internal working inside of us that wants to justify ourselves. And what Paul is saying, what the Bible is clearly laying out for us is you will never be enough. God's people needed a true and better king. Someone who actually was after God's heart all the time. And the Bible tells us his name is Jesus. And so what, what Paul, and even just using the language of the, the sermon, is that Paul shows us um, the good news of Jesus' life. Um, that he, uh, he perfectly, entirely uh, fulfilled all of the demands of God's law. So everything that was required of God's people, Jesus did. 
And then, and then Paul would say, and then he was put on a tree of death. So the obedience of Jesus, the what of your justification, is both his life and his death. Not only did Jesus live the life that you could not live, but he also died the death that you should have died. That is the substance of what is required in justification. God gives what we are utterly incapable of giving ourselves. So then how does it happen? How does God justify us? Uh, Paul does this. He, he shuffles through a number of Old Testament passages. Um, if, and if you're using an English Bible or maybe even your digital Bibles, um, you'll, you'll see there's kind of these offset quotes, right? You are my son, today I have begotten you. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. You will not let your holy one see corruption. That, you know, again, Paul's in the synagogue with Jewish people. Uh, to quote the Old Testament, uh, you know, it was the mic drop of the day, right? Like Paul says, like, here's how you know you can be justified. The Old Testament said it. So Paul quotes Psalm 2, Psalm 16, Isaiah 55, Isaiah 29. He quotes all these Old Testament passages, in essence saying, here's how you can know you are justified. And the the substance of those Old Testament quotes was this. Jesus is now alive. The, The hinging doctrine for how you can be made right with God is that Jesus rose from death to life. Now, it would be valiant and admirable and inspirational if Jesus lived for you and died for you, but it would be it would be insufficient if he didn't also rise for you. You know, Paul would say in other New Testament locations that if if Jesus isn't alive, we should be pitied. We are fools if Jesus is not alive. So the whole thing hinges on Jesus being alive. Let me, um, let me just kind of land this a little bit in the how section to your lives. Do you, maybe I'm alone in this. Um, maybe I'm not. Do you ever, do you ever wonder um, if God's going to change his mind about you? Like if he's going to, you know, for, for those of you that have been Christians, you know, for any amount of time, and you just kind of, you just celebrate, you know, God loves me. He died for me. He, he did all these things for me. But your, your life, you know, maybe you just kind of look at it. It's a little lackluster, spiritually speaking. You, you haven't done all that much on the grand scheme of the world. Like you don't feel like you've changed the world or done anything tremendous for God. And you're just wondering like, I wonder if he's going to change his mind about me. Or, or maybe, maybe you don't ask that question. Maybe you just kind of have this nagging sense um, you know, you've been told God loves you. You kind of know that on the intellectual level, but kind of on the deeper level of your in- interior life, you just kind of wonder if God's just kind of tolerating you. Like he just, he did all these things for me and I, and I don't, like, I just can't seem to do much for him. And maybe he's just kind of putting up with me. Like he's really kind, but you know, maybe, maybe one day he's just gonna just give up. If, if any of that resonates with you, the thing about the gospel is that you can absolutely 
with utter certainty know that God will not change his mind about you. Um, for those of you that have been around our church for a while, uh, you'll know that in January, I kind of hit a wall, crashed and burned, um, emotionally, physically, spiritually exhausted. And I've given little, little windows into what was going on in my life. And I'll give you another little one here. I've been in, I've been in ministry now coming up on 10 years. Um, and you know, through this, this whole year, uh, it's given me some margin just to get a lot of care. And so just loads of counseling and coaching and, and just self-care kind of stuff in my, in my life. And, you know, 10 months out of my fall in January now, 10-ish months, whatever, nine months, I've come to the conclusion um, that most, if not all, of my um, work for God, you know, my ministry stuff here and, and in other places, has come... Um, from this place of uh, me using God to feel good about myself. Like, and, and that's kind of where, where like the wheels spun off the train for me was like, I just couldn't do it anymore. Like I, I was doing it, you know, in many ways for myself. And, you know, in January, like God could have said to me, like, I'm done with you. Like, he easily could have just written me off. Like, you're just, you know, you've been doing this your own way, on your own strength, you know, for your own, you know, purpose. Like, I, he could have easily just said to me, you know, Adam, it's been nice, but, you know, we're going to have to part ways now. But you know what? He didn't say that. You know what God said to me in January? When I came to an utter, complete end of myself, you know what he said to me? He said, you're the apple of my eye. Like he looked at me and he told me how much he loved me. And the only reason I come to the conclusion that he could do that is because Jesus is alive for me. And so everything is built on this reality that if you are clinging to Jesus, and that's how we're going to get to the kind of the win of this, his reality is your reality. So when does that happen? Like, when are you justified? Paul makes it utterly clear when you believe. So, so for the audience that Paul's preaching this sermon to, you know, you know how they would have viewed forgiveness? They would have viewed it as an annual repetitious event called the Day of Atonement. So the Day of Atonement would have been this great big holiday festival for the Jewish people, and you would have brought all your best sacrifices. You would have wore your best clothes. You know, it was a big deal. And you would have gone, and all of your sins would have been transferred to the animals through the work of the priest, and it would have been a repetitious thing. And it would have been done annually. And so for these people, that's, that in their mind was how God operated. Right? It was like, he'll forgive you, and then when you mess up, like you got to go back, and, and he'll forgive you again. And, and he, was, he was good like that, but it, it was this continual, repetitious thing. But Paul, in no uncertain terms, says this. You are justified when you believe. And let me just translate that, you know, because there's various people here in various stages. When you believe, meaning that moment 
when you stop justifying yourself. And that moment could have been, you know, 20 years ago. And that moment could be this morning and everything in between it. But the good news for the believer is upon believing in the person and work of the Lord Jesus, you are immediately and finally made right with God. Like, let that sink. It is a one-time legal declaration right with God. The jury for your life has been submitted to the judge, not guilty. All of your transgressions from your past, from your current moment, to things you will do in the future have been rendered useless, not guilty, immediately right with God. Now, if that doesn't jar you a little, you're not hearing me right. The good news of Jesus Christ is that nothing you have done, are currently doing, or will do in the future can ever separate you from the love of God. Ever. That is shocking news to anyone who would hear it. The, the good news that Paul is, is, is uttering to us this morning is that what Jesus has done in his life, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, and in his ascension is that he has become all the things that you were. He took your sinfulness upon his own body and soul and bore the weight and wrath of a holy and just God who could not just sweep it under the rug. He took all of that on himself and bore it on a tree. And then, as if, as if that were not enough, he then uh, was laid in a tomb, forgotten by the world, surrounded by darkness, abandoned by his friends, rejected by his followers, and then God said, that is enough. And he rose him from death to life. And so the how of your justification is that upon believing in that, you get all of his righteousness on your record. So the believer who's now justified is no longer seen as a flawed, weak, selfish person. They are now viewed as the very work of the Son of God. So when God looks at the believer, all that he sees is the perfect, complete righteousness of his son, the Lord Jesus. He is smiling at the believer all the time. The frown of God's judgment has been wiped away forever. So what does that mean now? So what? I got a seminary professor, um, pastor's college, right? You just, so what? What does that even matter? Like, is that just like this kind of hole-punched ticket to safety after we die? What you see in the response of the hearers is that they begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. <laughs> they just couldn't get enough of it. The good news about Jesus is not just the ABCs of becoming a Christian, it's the A to Z. It's the whole enchilada. 
Like it, it is the wholeness of our life. We do not move beyond this news. And, and I wonder, I wonder who, who of you here today, there are two types of people here today. There are people who are justified and there are people here who are not justified. And, you know, for, for the people that are not justified, let me, let me just say this to you today. You, I, in my, to the best of my ability, by God's grace, have just explained to you the best news uh, that the, the history of the world ever has ever heard. You just heard the best news ever, whether you're here in this park or you're watching online or whatever. You just heard the best news in the history of the world. And so, you know, your response uh, could be one of two things. It could be disregard the news, right? Look for holes in it or, you know, doubt the historical right or whatever, you know, like just disregard the news or you can do what these people did and you could beg for more of it. Your life could be changed by this news. For the rest of you uh, who, who are justified by God, uh, I guess the invitation one is is to do airplanes in the outfield that God has loved you like that on the one hand, but it but it also invites you to assess your relationship to that news and to the bearer of that news, Jesus. Because I'm curious if that news has largely been transactional in nature, if it's kind of been just like this system to follow, like, you know, like religious systems, right? Things to do. Um, because the good news is not a religious system to follow. The, the good news is a loving relationship to pursue. See, God didn't do all of this in history just for you to kind of like, phew, phew, glad I'm good to go on that. Like if I, whatever's on the other side of death, like I think I'm gonna, like God did all of this work so that he could have a loving union with you. And for some of you, like, the, the dust on that news is thick, right? Like, like, it, it, like, it needs not just, like, a refresh on the Internet. You need to, like, reboot the system, right? Some of you have been around Jesus so long that you've forgotten his loving pursuit of you. So that's the invitation this morning. Does it feel scandalous at all to you? Does it feel shocking to you? I hope it jars you. I hope it feels so much bigger than, you know, winning a game in the World Series. This news, the good news about the person, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus has the potential to change everything about you. Beg for more of it. Let's pray and ask God to help us do that. Jesus, we... We fully admit, Lord, we underestimate and overlook what you've done for us so often. Lord, it, it's common knowledge to many of us. We all traffic in it. We know how to talk about it. Um, but Lord, rarely does it, does it just hit our hearts um, in a way that, that longs for connection with you. So, Lord, that's just my prayer for, for all the people that are in this, this little park today or might be catching this online. Lord, would your good news get inside of us? Would it change us? Would we run from whatever things we are justifying our lives and our existence with? And would we run to you, Lord Jesus? Because you're alive. 
You're ruling and reigning on your throne. You are the very high priest who lives to intercede for his people. So, so Jesus, do that work in us. We, we need your help. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 